Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I was in Portland, Oregon recently, and I actually, as an aside, I actually had a really lovely time, and I finally figured out why people find a large part of it charming. The trick for those of you who have not been to Portland and mostly see it as a dump is to go east of the river, and it will you'll run into a lot of cool stuff, is what I found. But who boy, is there a lot of anarchism and leftism there, which, you know, uh, it, Portland kind of lives up to its reputation. And I didn't go to the downtown parts where people keep burning stuff down, but, you know, just stayed away from there. But I did see a lot of flyers posted up everywhere saying all sorts of wild stuff, including a lot of stuff about occupying. And I mentioned this to a friend, and the friend mentioned, oh, yeah, near me there was, you know, there were a bunch of white guys with guns occupying, you know, a few square blocks. You just torn around. And I was like, wait a minute. I I literally said, like, were they right-wing extremists or left-wing extremists? And he laughed mirthlessly, saying it's kind of a shame that you needed to ask. But no, they were left-wing extremists. You know, when I thought back, I had this thought back to Ted Bundy. And, and, you know, again, I hang out with with more left-wing circles. And the y'all kind of thing and how, how fired up everyone was about Ted Bundy's gang, you know, hanging out with guns in a building in some, like, you know, federal land bureau. And I assume the right wing was all bent out of shape about Chaz up in Seattle and and this this anarchic occupied zone in Portland, you know. And I it apparently is quite wild. Uh, you can go look it up. And I'd figured that the Portlanders, after seeing the Capitol riots, might think that well, okay, maybe rioting and insurrection are bad. But of course, it's only bad when it's the other side, right? And you know, if you're thinking about you know Ted Bundy and the Capitol riot and Chaz and the Portland you know, riots and their occupied zone and all the people that got hurt and all the businesses that got destroyed, people that died. And if you're thinking one side, you know, one side of violent extremists are are good and one side of violent extremists are bad, you might be suffering from a case of selective forgiveness. So we talk every now and then about biases on this show, and I try not to get too much into the science because... You know, what are you going to do with the science anyway? We know that humans have biases. And sometimes I like to highlight those and kind of rub them in everybody's face. And that's what we're going to do some of today, right? And it's interesting, if you look back in history, you know, there's this, uh, there's this annoyingly morally relativistic term, you know, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. It does seem to be the case that we have, you know, that, that some, many Americans at least, have a sense that my guys are freedom fighters and your guys are terrorists, right? The y'all kaida thing, right? It was trying to equate these guys who were occupying a BLM building, the Ted Bundy guys, to be terrorists, right? 
and they felt their way of life was being and, and their way to support themselves had been being encroached by the BLM. And so they staged an armed protest uh, and occupied a building. And are they good guys or bad guys? Right. And, you know, when people occupied like six blocks of Seattle or a couple blocks of Portland or like set fire to a bunch of stuff in Portland, you know, and it, this is over the killing of George Floyd and and other black men before him. You know, are they good guys or bad guys? Are these legitimate forms of protest, regardless of what they're upset about? To what extent do we look at what these people are wearing, right? You know, the y'all kind of thing had a lot to do with these guys having cowboy hats. Thus the y'all, right? So to what extent do our feelings about the Ted Bundy guys actually have to do with what they're literally wearing? And, you know, if Antifa is occupying something, they're flying the red and the black. By the way, those of you who are like, oh, Antifa only stands for anti-fascist. The red and the black literally stand for communism and anarchism. Look it up, right? So these guys flying the red and the black and wearing face masks and putting fists up in the air, right? So is, are, are these visual cues telling you, oh, well, those guys are actually the good guys or those guys are actually the bad guys, right? So does what people are wearing literally change our tendency to forgive them? And so let's look through a few examples of this. We actually have, um, it's not all just writers, although we'll start with writers regarding, uh, again, I want everyone to kind of just face square in the eyes this sense of, uh, I, I want to summarize you know, some of what's happened gently because you, you guys have, have read about it, I'm sure, already. But I want to summarize a lot of what's happened and have you look at, you know, hey, are, are my extremists or are my corrupt uh, politicians so much better than your corrupt politicians, right? You may be, you're, you're, I'm sure your political position is the correct one, whoever you are listening, but, you know, the folks that you're kind of forgiving because they seem to be the enemy of my enemy— does it, is it really an internally consistent position to be forgiving them? So let's take a look. You know, Martin Luther King said that the riot is the language of the unheard. Now, those who use that to justify rioting uh, may forget the whole quote. The quote goes like this, and this is after recommitting himself to nonviolent action. He says, quote, But it is not enough for me to stand before you tonight and condemn riots. It would be morally irresponsible for me to do that without, at the same time, condemning the contingent, intolerable conditions that exist in our society. These conditions are the things that cause individuals to feel that they have no other alternative than to engage in violent rebellions to get attention. And I must say tonight that the riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? And he, he continues the list. It is certainly the case that for each of us, right, there are probably things there are probably causes that or, or or situations conditions if we sat and thought about it where we would say it is justified to use violence and it is justified there is something there's some level right it's justified to use violence and maybe even it's justified to have collateral damage i sometimes call this the revolutionary's dilemma you know at what point do you have the right to get other people who don't want to be involved involved in a negative way where they get hurt or they die or their shit gets burned down right um you know but but any good american goes like hey the revolution was a good thing right probably you might still have some royalists out there but you know most people are like yeah revolution great right so we used violence there was a war people got hurt trade was interrupted people lost their well-being right people died a lot of people died and not all of them signed up for this revolution and so 
you know, if you support kind of any, like, if there if there's a single revolution you have ever supported, then you at times support violence to get what you want. Now, it's worth noting that of all of the violence that we've seen over the past couple years, you know, how much of it has really accomplished anything in the first place? But it's also the case that much of this violence was, at best, sort of poorly directed, right? Chaz, what, what was it? It was a bunch of people, mostly white, with guns, who, you know, drove a bunch of cops out of a police station because, you know, at that time, all cops are bastards, right? All of them, bastards. And pushed them all out, you know, and then occupied this, like, uh, six by three block or something area. And just, I don't know, like, it, it was weird. It was one of those, like, you know, seemed like the dawn of a revolution kind of thing. There was this, like, revolutionary energy, and it just kind of fizzled out because, turns out, being a professional revolutionary requires a lot of support from people who are willing to pay you and uh, give you food, and that didn't happen. Same with Portland. You know, people occupied an area and, f and it fizzled out. And to what end, right? What was the point? And do you see these folks as like dangerous anarchists flying the red and the black? I mean, if you don't, go take a look at some photos from this area. See what they were writing. See what they posted. Do you support that? And if not, are you just quietly forgiving them? Or are you outspoken against them? Are you as outspoken against them as you are the Capitol riots and vice versa, right? You know, what's wild is the right wing is starting to kind of, you know, they've tried to, the right wing who hasn't kind of gone like, oh God, that was terrible, right? There is a part of the right wing that isn't at least externally vocally going, oh God, that was terrible. That shouldn't have happened, right? They're going, oh, well, you know, there was a while. It was like, oh, it was actually Antifa, right? It was Antifa and they all dressed up as Trump supporters and bought Trump flags and they set up Facebook accounts years ago to pretend to be Trump supporters. Yeah, 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 that, yep. It, uh, you know, Trump supporters would never do that. So yeah, it was a conspiracy by Antifa and yeah, okay, fine. Okay, fine, it wasn't. Well, uh, you know, it was just a protest, right? It was just a protest and Ashley Babbitt, uh, you know, was, was unlawfully killed by the cops Oh, we hate that. We've always hated that, right? Oh, well, maybe we haven't always hated it, but we hate it now because uh, she's on our team. And, you know, and of course, like you have people running around complaining about Ashley Babbitt having been killed for trying to breach the Senate chamber. When, of course, if she's trying to break into your home or your place at work, and you pointed a gun at her and told her not to come in and she kept coming, you'd shoot her yourself, right? The same people who are like, oh, God, it's terrible that Ashley Babbitt was killed. What a monstrous... What a monstrous thing that the state did to, you know, kill a citizen without due process. Boy, we're mad now. You know, so you have these folks that are forgiving, that are trying to find stories, trying to find ways to cast the Capitol riot as something other than a bunch of rioters who tried to break into the Senate floor. One of them got killed, who beat a bunch of cops, who did a bunch of property damage, stole stuff, murdered a cop, right? Beat him to death, to death, right? George Floyd didn't kill anybody. Nor did Eric Gardner, nor did any of those folks, right? How can you possibly forgive this thing? And if they had been left-wing protesters storming the, you know, uh, for whatever reason, right? Whatever they, whatever corruption they think was happening, right? That's that in a protest literally stormed the Capitol, right? Wandered around the Senate floor and stole stuff and, you know, had zip ties running around looking to murder the, or uh, at least capture the vice president or other folks. I mean, it's psychotic, it is true, the, the hypocrisy becomes truly psychotic at some point when, if you're supporting one of these groups or forgiving one of these groups, or at least pretending they didn't do anything wrong. And so the thing I need to do is not tell you what to think, not just, not just tell you to 
brush with a broad brush. Oh, all these groups are bad. All bad, right? Like that's the kind of like weak sauce, flimsy, moderate position, right? And it is a position like, oh, they're all bad, right? What are you going to do? But to ask yourself deeply, what conditions, right? If it was the other side doing this, right? If it was for some cause that I wasn't yet on board with or wasn't sure what I was on board with, like what if you didn't know what these people believed deep down? What kind of action is forgivable? And what is unforgivable? And if what some group that happens to sometimes vote the same way you do versus not vote the same way you do, if that group does something that you'd consider unforgivable, is it forgivable for you to sit around and just kind of be quietly embarrassed, right? What's holding you back from loudly condemning them other than a bunch of psychos on your side who are going to come after you for how dare you condemn our looters and rioters? Next topic. So we've had some, you know, very cocked up military adventures in the last couple decades, haven't we? Afghanistan, Iraq, right? Very expensive ones. We've, you know, you've heard me gripe before about, boy, I'm glad we learned from Iraq that trying to topple a dictator, you know, in a multi-ethno-sectarian Middle Eastern country and build a new democratic government and hope it all works out. I'm glad that we learned from Iraq that doesn't work. It's a good thing we didn't do it again in Syria and Libya. And, you know, I remember... I was, I was thinking recently about sort of like the cocked up military withdrawal and abandonment of allies that a lot of right wingers are griping about with Afghanistan. And I'm still trying to, you know, a lot of people are like, Eric, do you want about Afghanistan? And I'm like trying to wrap my head around everything that could have possibly gone wrong, because I think part of what people are looking for from me is some sort of clarity. Like people want like, Eric, what actually happened? Right. I don't know what actually happened. I keep reading about it. And everything's very, very tainted with opinion right now. It's very, very hard to get just like a kind of a clear history of it. And that's the problem with history, right? It takes a while. So it may be a while before I really do one in Afghanistan. But, you know, Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan, like there are, I think, a couple thousand, like 10,000 Americans and, and kind of like quick, you know, rapid visa uh, Afghans left behind. Maybe not that many. The airlift was cool. Like it was 120,000 people airlifted in like a week. But you know, but like Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan, you know, we had we only had 2,500 troops there. So here's here's like one reason you can be mad at Biden, right? Or not be so mad at Biden. But we had 2,500 troops there. You know, and people say like, well, Trump signed a peace deal with the Taliban. It's like, oh, great. Yeah. So Biden has to do everything, has to just follow through with everything Trump did in his previous presidency. Is that a rule now? No, it's not. He's not following through with anything else. You know, said it didn't ratify any treaties. His hands weren't tied. 2,500 troops was like pretty small potatoes in terms of dollars, right? They're primarily doing like training, command and control operations, air support, repair. You know, we have far, far larger forces and expenditures in South Korea, Japan, Germany. You know, and why do we have troops in South Korea, Japan, and Germany? Well, they're to prevent awful things from happening, right? That's their job. Their job is to sit there and prevent bad things from happening. And, you know, could 2,500 troops have prevented something awful from happening in Afghanistan? Maybe. But, you know, and so, and so like was the withdrawal of these 2,500 troops, you know, to kind of like, I don't know, maybe create some national closure or something like that. Was it worth it? Was it the right thing to do? You can also like, I, I think the only other thing I want to say on Afghanistan is people go, you know, with the, with the withdrawal, the, there was this like lightning, you know, this blitzkrieg by the Taliban. And it was hard to, you know, it was hard to know what to do then. But, you know, what were you going to do? Put the troops back in? Probably momentum had already shifted too much. You know, Afghan troops, it's already sort of already lost their nerve. Some people said, oh, withdraw slower. It's like, well, the, the Taliban was smart. They were just going to wait around for you to be gone anyway, right? So it doesn't really matter how slowly you go. Once you're gone, that's when they started. So could you have really done it substantially differently? I mean, there were clearly some crazy things like the Americans left one night and the Afghan command at some base didn't know. I don't know how that happened. I didn't look it up. But 
you know, but a lot of people are saying like, oh, we abandoned our allies. It was a, you know, sudden cocked up withdrawal when people were kind of like giving me a hard t- or a lot of people want me to agree with them because I like I me agreeing with someone unfortunately carries this like moral support that it shouldn't because I'm not an expert on just about anything. And I spend most of my time thinking about Silicon Valley, but someone was trying to get me get me to agree with them on that. And and I just had this like memory of this like party when I was in Boston where this this left wing guy was drunk and was screaming at me. Um, this left wing guy who was not a foreign policy masters was telling me a foreign policy masters that Trump ordering the withdrawal of U.S. troops from parts of Kurdish occupied Syria after ISIS was defeated was the greatest betrayal of U.S. allies ever. And I, people agreed with them. Like, I got ganged up on when I was trying to say, like, no, it's really not. Like, it's not that important. And, you know, all of a sudden, like, just for a hot minute, because the Kurds fought ISIS and did it well, all of a sudden, like, they were our best friends or something. Or, you know, or for some reason, like, we needed to, I don't know, become their caretakers in their, you know, in this ongoing, like, very complex fight for statehood they had. And... And I was just thinking about like, oh, right, yes, now I know what it is. Like, are those same people in Boston going like, oh, Biden abandoned our allies, right, by like not doing a good enough job with driving from Afghanistan? Like, probably not. And are the people who are mad at Biden, were they mad at at Trump because of like the short war, or it's not even a war, but like military action that occurred on the Syrian border where Turkey came in and like kicked some Kurdish ass for a short period and occupied part of it? No, probably not, right? So like under what conditions do you forgive someone for, you know, just deciding like F it, let's get out of here. And, you know, just executing on it and not looking back and not apologizing, right? These are actually very similar in my book. We were less in Syria and certainly for a lesser amount of time. I know when people try to defend Obama for Syria, when, you know, they're attacking Bush for Iraq, it's like, well, we didn't have troops on the ground in Syria. It's like, oh, well, then how could we have withdrawn them if they weren't there? And, you know, the U.S. has a lot of troops all over the place. And what we call it one time or another sometimes varies. Point being, under what, you know, I think like these two examples are here to get you to think, under what conditions do you forgive a withdrawal that got people hurt? And, you know, or deal back, like, were you, you know, were you maybe really mad about Trump's withdrawal from northern Syria? And you look back and go like, oh, man, I remember being mad about that. But like, I don't really remember the details, which frequently happens. Are you doing any mental cartwheels right now to try to paint a difference between how Biden versus Trump executed these foreign policies or these foreign withdrawals? Right. And like, can you really, you know, can you really form a good argument that might convince like a neutral third party? Maybe. Remember, as a young kid, my dad, uh, who was like, he was a cranky conservative and also uh, often a hypocrite about stuff. But I remember he read this book called Senatorial Privilege. It's, I think something like it has now become a movie called Chappaquiddick. But it's about Ted Kennedy getting this girl killed. It's it's technically manslaughter by driving drunk and crashing over a bridge at Chappaquiddick and he swam away and she drowned and she's dead. And his, you know, I think it's funny. I, I talk about that with people sometimes and they're like, what? Right, really? That happened? It's like, yeah, it happened. Look it up. Chappaquiddick. And, you know, his political career just went on, right? And this person, by the way, she wasn't his wife. And his political career just kind of carried on. And the book was called Senatorial Privilege. And it was about how, you know, as a senator, you can kind of get away with whatever. And, you know, pretty crooked for that happening, right? There was not justice done uh, for this woman who was killed and her family. And, you know, and similarly, I remember... Bill Clinton, when he was impeached, you know, people kept saying, and they still say it today, it drives me absolutely nuts, the ignorance of it. People say, like, oh, I got impeached for having a blowjob in the White House. Oh, did he? 
Wow, that's interesting that that wasn't involved in any of the articles of impeachment. And people go, well, that's what it was really about. It's like, oh, is it about that? Or, like, why did this start, right? People think it started because of the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and it didn't. It didn't. It started by Paula Brown suing Bill Clinton in 1994 for sexual assault, intimidation, and abuse of power because as president, he sexually assaulted her, right? This is sexual assault we're talking about, right? And are we going to believe, you know, are, do we forgive Bill Clinton? And and do we believe all women in this case? So do we believe Paula Brown that he sexually assaulted her? Or what about Juanita Broderick, who claimed that Bill Clinton raped her in 1978? And that Hillary Clinton sub- subsequently intimidated into being quiet? Um, or Kathleen Wiley, who accused Bill Clinton of groping her in 1993? And these women, you know, do we believe them? And, you know, do we try to forgive Bill Clinton and say, like, oh, this is actually about the consensual sex that he had, which would, you know, these days probably be, a, you know, any CEO who did that would get rightfully fired with Monica Lewinsky. By the way, the reason it got to that whole thing got to impeachment was that he clearly lied under oath during the Paul Brown lawsuit. And, you know, the same folks were saying that Brett Kavanaugh being accused of sexual assault from back in his college days was enough that Brett Kavanaugh should not be a Supreme Court justice because of accusations that he'd sexually assaulted uh, a woman back in his college days. And, okay, you know, do the folks who think that about Brett Kavanaugh, do they think that Bill Clinton should not have been president, right? And are they willing to hold that line? Are they willing to say it out loud or not? Or do they forget, do you forgive Bill Clinton? Do you quietly forgive him? Do you quietly forgive Brett Kavanaugh when in the 1990s you were really fired up about Bill Clinton? Do you attack Bill Clinton and do you forgive Donald Trump, an alleged religious conservative who clearly never read the Bible, what he called his favorite book? Do you give him his infidelities, his two divorces, his having sex with a porn star, right? And and certainly at this point, having sexually assaulted many women, perhaps dozens, Right? How can you possibly forgive this? How could anyone forgive this guy that, much less someone who claims to be a religious conservative? Holy simoleons. How can you forgive the guy? Do you decry Hunter Biden working for Burisma as nepotism? Right? Be like, oh, look how corrupt Joe Biden is. His son it worked as on the board that he's probably not qualified for of some oil company in Ukraine. Right? How corrupt. By the way, Trump hiring literally his children who to the White House with U.S. taxpayer dollars and them clearly not being qualified because they have no history of working in government, right? How is, how is that possibly not the most obvious corruption? And what I wish we could do is just say, look, corrupt politicians are bad and not have to or or sexual assaulters are bad and they no they shouldn't lead us whether in scotus or as presidents or or if you don't care i mean that's fine too just don't care you know across the board who are you forgiving out of this group and why are you forgiving trump are you forgiving kavanaugh are you forgiving clinton are you forgiving liz warren for claiming to be cherokee to advance her career right would she even be a senator now if she didn't claim to be native american to take advantage of affirmative action? Or should she have her career destroyed the same way that Jessica Krug and Rachel Dolezal had their careers destroyed for pretending to be black? And that's going to be another thing we talk about at some point when I have the courage, which is how do you even define it? Are we back to the days of the mulatto, right? Back to the days of determining, well, if you're a quarter black, are you black enough to be black? Do you have to be half black? Is half black black enough to be black to be in the cool kids club? Right? I don't know. 
uh, I'll, I'll do that episode someday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But think about who you're forgiving here. And then finally... Let's think about what parties we're forgiving for violating norms, right? for violating democratic norms. All right? Republicans used the nuclear option to force through their pick of the Supreme Court justice a couple times. Um, they also blatantly were blatant hypocrites about it that when uh, Scalia died in 2016, they said, well, you, know, you can't put in a new Supreme Court justice in the middle of the election. And of course, even closer to the election, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies. They're like, yeah, let's use the nuclear option to just like shove through our own pick. Um, Amy Barnett, who was super qualified despite only having been a judge for two years. Think about that. Um, you know, is it a deep violation of norms to use the nuclear option to force us through? Or do you forgive them? You know, do you forgive them for that because the Senate Democrats in 2013 used the nuclear option to force through their circuit court picks, violating the very intent of the rule that they introduced in 2001? Right? They introduced the filibuster for Supreme Court picks in order to, in Tom Daschle's words, use quote whatever means necessary to fight George W. Bush's Supreme Court nominations. Oh, has it just been the case that for a while, that for like the entire millennium we've been using power whenever we can right and violating democratic norms whenever we can to stuff through our supreme court nominations because you know it's so important it's important enough right this is where let's go back to what we said at the beginning there is some cause that is important enough to you to use violence to achieve and there are clearly some causes that probably to most people seem violent enough to violate norms, right? Let's break the rules this time, right? To get through our Supreme Court justice because it's so important. But are you really going to complain when your opposition does it? Well, of course you are. But can you do it with a straight face? Can you decry one side for using the nuclear option to get their court picks in when the other side's done it too? Or do you just say, you know what? That's just, just the way it is now, right? Is there some way to walk it back? You know, Texas Democrats walked out of the legislature to prevent quorum on a vote about voting rights. Did you celebrate it or did you decry it, right? Some people I know celebrated it when they decry Republicans for doing similar things, such as using, uh, you know, tricky rules, you know, that were never intended to be used in this case to get their way in Senate. The Texas Democrats walking out are taking advantage of quorum rules that were never meant to be used to give someone what is essentially, you know, a minority powered veto power, or at least the ability to prevent a law from being voted on. That was never the point. Who's, you know, but was it worth it to violate those norms? Was it the right thing anyway, right? Do you have a good definition for 
when it's fine for the other side to do it? Or can our side only do it because we're the good guys and they're the bad guys? You know, what happens when you set the precedent of using raw power to get your way is somebody else does it later, right? Once you've, you know, it's like in the game Hearts. Once you've broken Hearts, anyone can do it now. You broke it. And you look back far enough, does it matter who broke it in the first place? It's like some of these ancient conflicts between ethnic groups. Nobody even knows how they started. And everybody blames the other side for their atrocities and forgives their side their atrocities, right? This isn't an American problem. It's a human problem. Right now, in the United States, what's happening is we've tribalized so much, just like ancient warding, warring, feuding, ethno-sectarian groups from who knows where, right? We've tribalized so much that all the stuff that our guys do, we forgive. Whether it's burning something down or violating norms or being corrupt, because our side are the good guys, our tribe are the good guys, the other side are the bad guys. And, and so the rules don't have to apply to us, but they do have to apply to the others. You can't burn things down, you can't be corrupt, and you can't violate the norms of our democracy. You can't, but we can, because we're the good guys. You know, that's not how it works. This is, the, you know, this is how democracy works, is the rules have to apply to everyone for it to work. Otherwise, it's not democracy. You forgiving your side all this stuff and not decrying it means that they'll do more of it. And it means the other side will feel justified in doing more of it too, right? And I think people are afraid to decry their own side, right? Their own like idiots, their own corrupt, their own like corrupt politicians, their own sexual assaulters, their own building burners, their own violent extremists. Why? Because, well, we need them. We got to win the next election. And so maybe there's a cure to this. And here's what I want you to think about on the way out. The enemy of your enemy is, in fact, not your friend. And these hardcore partisans who are the dogs wagging the tail of your party, of your tribe, right? The people who are burning stuff down, occupying this and that. Those folks are going to vote for your preferred candidate anyway. But by supporting them, by forgiving them, even just by forgiving them, you give them power. You let them get away with stuff. You let them escalate. You let them break norms. You make the world a worse place. So that's what I want you to think about. Don't let me do the thinking for you. Don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Think for yourself, but pause and reconsider. Before I sign off today, I want to once again thank some of our recent patrons. I'm still trying to get a name out of this wonderful person, but we did just get uh, a new kind of larger, larger scale uh, patron to join. And I want to remind everyone that you can give me a hard time for any inaccuracies or uh, you know, mistaken thinking for you. You can ask me questions. You can suggest some ideas for episodes. May or may not do them on Facebook, Twitter, now Instagram at Reconsider Media. Um, and of course, we'd love to have your support as patrons so we can do even more cool stuff. We are reaching bigger audiences all the time. Thanks to our patrons. Thanks entirely to our patrons. Our audience grows. So those of you who are new, welcome uh, new considerates to the show. And I hope you're enjoying, and I hope I'm helping you to reconsider. This is Eric, signing off.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 